Good morning, Hillside. It's good to see all your faces after Thanksgiving. Before I, um, I start my message, I want to just read Luke 4, 18 uh, through 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus announced, fulfilling Isaiah 61, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And I just want to, for all of us, to just remember that liberty that is for us. And some of you who are really doing some warfare because you went through cleansing streams and you felt things broke off of you, and I know the enemy is trying to come back and steal your victory you hang on to that scripture because our, our overcoming is through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of who he is and what he's doing in our lives. And Satan is a liar and he's a deceiver. He'll move on our mind, our will, and our emotions and our circumstances to try to make, take back territory that he's been thrown out of. He served an eviction notice and so keep him out. L be encouraged. Then I got really something yesterday that I thought was really appropriate for us. And it's out of Psalms 42, verse 11, from the Amplified Bible. And this psalm is written by uh, the sons of Korah. And remember Korah in the Old Testament, he was uh, a leader under, under uh, Aaron, and he really was a place in, in, uh, as a Levite in that place of worship and the temple and creating the atmosphere of God's presence, which we've been talking about. And he got sideways. He got sideways in his faith. You might say his hair got cut. And the enemy went in and deceived him. And he was involved with that rebellion with two other people to come against the authority of Moses. And there's a, just a real attack in the body of Christ to divide people and to come against spiritual authority. And it's interesting when Korah did that rebellion that there was destruction for, for those three guys who created that rebellion and the 250 uh, uh, Levites who were followers and they were burned by fire. And it's interesting that even though the sons of Korah saw their father go through this, there was something that was so solidified in their own relationship with God that they hung in there. And so we get this incredible Psalms uh, from those guys. And so Psalms 42:11, Why are you cast down, O my inner self, my soul? And why should you moan over me and be disquieted, worried, and anxious within me? Hope in God and wait expectantly for him, for I shall yet praise him who is the help of my countenance and my God. What an incredible uh, psalm that is for us, because I don't know about you, but that's where we get intact. We get intact our, in our emotions, in the inner man, our feelings and our thoughts. And then we come under we come under the attack of the enemy. We come under the oppression of the age. We come under the very things that are countered by the prophetic words that God's given us, by the scriptures that God has given to us that build our faith. And so we're attacked to come under the promises of God. But these guys wrote this psalm so that we can have a protection whenever there's a situation that comes your way, whenever there's an attitude or a thought or a feeling that causes a come over and creep over on you and bring a heaviness and bring a discouragement, that this is something you speak to your soul. It is your spirit rising up and holding on to the prophetic thoughts, holding on to what you know about God that comes begins to come against the feelings, the accusations, the thoughts, 
whatever it is that's trying to steal your joy, your peace, and your presence. I love that, that psalm. And I don't know, I've never seen this all the years I've read the psalms. The very next chapter in Psalms 43, 5, the same verse is echoed again by the, the sons of Korah. Why are you cast down, O my inner self? And why should you moan over me and be disquieted, worried and anxious within me? Hope in God and wait expectantly for him. For I shall yet praise him who is the help of my sad countenance and my God. It's interesting in that last part of the verse, the Amplified adds sad countenance to that last part of the verse. So whenever your, your joy is starting to be stolen, whenever those feelings just begin to rise up from your soul and from the atmospheres around us, there's oppression atmospheres, and it's so easy to be walking along and have something come over you because it's spiritual, it's darkness that's, that's in this world, and it's trying to steal your confidence in God and your faith in who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life. And so hopefully any of you here today can just grab hold of that hope today, stir yourself to realize, you know what, that attack is attack of the enemy. And even that closing part of the verse where it says, I will yet praise him. That's that confidence of knowing when you rise up against negative feelings and you rise up against opposition and thoughts in your life, that there's a, a strong praise that's going to come because you're going to get through whatever is opposing you and it, your, your place of gratefulness is going to come back because you see God came through. Even though you're fighting negative thoughts and feelings, God promises to bring that breakthrough for you. Just a little bit of extra stuff for you this morning. Okay, I want to continue. Uh, this is our, our week six, six in the pursuit of God's presence. Again, focusing on encountering God's presence. Obed-Edom and his whole family and the whole line of descendants was changed by experiencing the presence of God. And it is that presence of God that we're focusing on. And especially, you know, we're starting, we have some symbols of the Christmas season starting and being around us. Some of you putting up your Christmas trees with all the lights, all the, all the brilliance of the tree that's really glorified because Jesus went to the tree and he died to set us free and bring us that salvation and that hope of eternal life and cause our spirit to be alive, that we have a reason to rejoice. And because of all the symbols and the, the mention of Christmas in the season, there's going to be a heightened awareness of his presence. There's going to be a greater experience for us to grab on and, and to receive the presence of God and to enjoy it in our soul because of all the symbols that are around. But we have to keep making a decision like Obed-Edom and his family did. You know you have a decision when you experience the presence of God. You have a decision whether you're going to surrender totally and go after God, or you're just going to enjoy the momentary presence and then try to live life on your own. And there's a decision that Obed-Edom and his family made. And it's clear in the scriptures that they became followers of God. They went on and followed the work of God. They were involved in the temple work, and the generations were servers and worshipers in the house of God. And so they made that decision upon experiencing the presence. And that's our whole thing about being conscious of the presence. And, and some of us just readjusting our thoughts about God and our experiences that we've had, that we might turn the light on in ourselves, that we might really make choices more, that we are going to be followers of Jesus, that we're going to pursue and go after his will for our lives. I, I think of the rich young ruler, an opportunity. He had this incredible counter with God. And yet he walked away because God had challenged, Jesus challenged him to follow me. You know, not just, uh, wow, this is a, wow, this is a, this is a mountain high. And I met Jesus and I felt all these great feelings and, and I just felt like there was such a great purpose in following him. But when he challenged me about one thing, uh, uh, he, he just couldn't buy in to 
experiencing and going on in following Jesus. Uh, I love, I've been, you know, plowing through Genesis again in my life, and I love Genesis 47 and uh, verses 7 through 9 where, you know, Joseph is brought in. He brings Jacob into Pharaoh's presence, and it says that Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and presented him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked Jacob, how old are you? And listen to what Jacob says. Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my, of my pil- pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of those years of my life been, and they have not attained to those life of, the, of my fathers in their pilgrimage. Wow. Here's one whenever we've been talking about from week to week about how we went through this time where Isaac passed on the prophetic blessing of being a father of all the nations and uh, that blessing of Abraham was passed for, from each generation. And remember how I said that Isaac sent him out. And as he was sent out, he began to experience God for himself as a young man, that all that he had learned religiously became experientially because God visited him. He saw that ladder and he had that angel visitation and he started bargaining with God about, okay, you're going to be with me. I want you to bless me. I'm going to follow you. And we see how that progressed. But we also read in that story of how uh, there was all kinds of things going on in the family and how Joseph was sold off and, and the brothers were, were jealous and all the things that went on, different kind of sins that went on in, in those families that were under Jacob, who is now Israel, bringing that destiny and bringing, the, bringing God into the earth and, and through that people of the Jewish nation. And yet, you know, Jacob is honest about God's presence constantly being with him, and yet he had evil days that he lived out. There was negative experiences. And I think that's for us for all to really hold on as members of the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, that we are going to go through some difficult times. Everything is not going to be like we'd like it to be, but we are to be encouraged because of the presence of God that's with us and promises that take us through everything that we face. So your encounter with the presence, and even though the presence is with you, you might be faced with challenges that are very painful. In Genesis 48, 15, and 16, Then Jacob blessed Joseph and said, God himself above and before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac lived and walked habitually, God himself, who has been my shepherd and has led and fed me from the time I came into being until this day. So here he declares, even though he just made that statement, you know, in that previous few verses when he had met Pharaoh, Now he's getting ready to bless Joseph's sons. He's getting ready to pronounce that prophetic blessing on another generation. And it's an incredible thing to have a a blessing of God proclaimed upon you, to go into a prophetic meeting or, or someone gives you a word or in the prayer closet, God gives you a word, and then you know every time you get a word, that word comes against challenge. That word gets attacked. That word comes and is assaulted because the enemy does not want that to take root in our hearts. He does not want us to establish a deep faith in God, which is contrary to our feelings and our circumstances. And it's so much easier sometimes to go the way that we want to desire in our own heart than to follow God and to be a follower and one who has heard from his presence and has had a directive word, and yet it seems like everything around us can say, leave that and do something different. The redeeming angel, verse 16, that is the angel, the redeemer, not a created being, but the Lord himself. Commentators say this is really translated and speaks of Jesus being with 
Jacob and his testimony of what he had experienced, who has redeemed me continually from every evil, and he blessed Joseph's sons. That passing of the blessing to that next generation, it is so important for us, parents, fathers, family members, even you single moms who are taking responsibility over your household, that you have the power of God to extend that blessing, that prophetic blessing onto your children. And you have the power to speak into their life and to warn them about decisions they would make that would cause harm in their life, that they might derive the blessing of God and everything that God has for them. Dory spoke prophetically about destiny today. That's that destiny that's in us to impart to another generation, just like we've been talking about from week to week, how Isaac's passing it to Jacob. Jacob's passing it to his children, and he's passing it on to Joseph, that there's an inheritance in God, that there's a destiny of God's presence. There's an ability to follow a God who's real that far exceeds whatever we can attain in this natural life on our own. What a great spiritual inheritance we have in Christ, and what a great opportunity to, be pa- to pass on something that's eternal, that's long-lasting, that's positive, that's encouraging, that's building lives and not destroying and taking them apart. He goes on and says, and Let my name be prote- perpetuated in them, in your children. May they be worthy of having their names coupled with mine. And the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them become a multitude in the midst of the earth. Wow, what a thing, speaking those things which had not even happened. I don't know how those two boys were when, you know, Ephraim and Manasseh, when they were, they were prayed over, but that blessing we know happened. It came to pass. We get to look at the Bible and we see how God's word has come to pass, and it took sometimes centuries and a long periods of time. We see the stories of great opposition and the children of Israel being in bondage. But we look at that word and we see, yeah, God was faithful. And yet the same words that have come to us we have those doubts that come to us because we're living with human emotions and natural feelings and natural understanding that is really in conflict to the powerful word of God and the powerful presence that brings that word of comfort and peace to us. There's a promise of greater presence, a prophetic promise through Malachi, God's prophet in the Old Testament. In Malachi 3, 1, Behold, God says to him, I send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, the Messiah, whom you seek, will suddenly come into his temple. The messenger or angel of the covenant, whom you desire, behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. That was interesting that one of those songs we were singing was talking about the presence of God in the temple. In the temple, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the living God. And so how we generate and keep our faith up and how we praise and worship and how we pray if we can in the Spirit, we keep the power of God strengthening in our spirit. We raise the Spirit of God in us to be able to override our soul and the things that come against it, even the thoughts and feelings that are crazy sometimes because Satan is such a deceiver. He has the greatest ability of any person that ever came on the earth to deceive us, even us who believe and know God. Our key verse for today is John 8, 12. Once more, Jesus addressed the crowd, and Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk He will not be walking in darkness, but will have the light, which is life. He who follows me. Again, it's an opportunity for us to to realize the scriptures tell us in the Old Testament that he holds our feet to his path and he lights our path. 
that means each step that we take is lighted. And sometimes we're tempted by our own will and our own desires to step out of the light, to step out of the boundaries. And when we do, we start walking into that, into that dusk, into that areas of, of dimness, and yet we only have our own heart or our own maybe deceptive ways to lead us in a way that's not God. But God is inviting us. Jesus is saying, walk in the light. Walk step by step with me. Walk where he's illuminating the path for us that we're staying in the boundaries. We're staying in the, pl- the realm of his blessing and the encouragement and the destiny that he's going to play out in our lives. And John, um, John sees Jesus, the promise of the greater presence. Talking about John the Baptist. Let's go to John uh, 1, verses 32 through 36. Again, John the Baptist walking out his call upon the earth, raised up even in his birth, even in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to live out the destiny of God. Talking about uh, born into the presence, living in the presence, he was prepared so that he might prepare the way for the next generation of believers and to prepare the way for Jesus to be revealed to the world. God in flesh. Talk about presence. Talk about a manifestation of something powerful. You know, God now coming onto the earth. So in John 1.32, John gave further evidence saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and it dwelt on him never to depart. Imagine all that Jesus went through, the persecution, the attacks, being overwhelmed by multitudes and having to escape from his life. Uh, tr- they tried to, to, to uh, you know, capture him, and he went through the midst of a crowd and, uh, when they came to destroy him. Jesus, you know, the anointing of God on him never to depart. And yet I'm sure he might have felt the, the uh, attack in his own emotions because of things he heard and saw. And yet he walked in the spirit. He walked in the presence and power of God. He walked and had to live above what his eyes were seeing, what his ears were hearing, what his feelings and his own emotions were subject to because he was living in a hostile world. He was living against all the de- demons of hell and Satan who were trying to, to destroy him and trying to tempt him and trip him up. And yet he... he, he resisted everything that Satan was trying to do. He resisted every temptation. He resisted every op- opportunity to compromise, like even when the religious leaders were offering him uh, a, a, a way out or something to escape. Even when Pilate was offering him a way that he wouldn't have to, to uh, die, you know, asking him to speak up for himself, he held his power down and he totally submitted. That's what we are doing too. That's what we are doing when we are under attack, when we're going through opposition, when we feel like we're just even going through the motions, but we're doing everything that we know is right. That's how we're called to live. Because of the presence of God that's in us, he gives us the ability to do those things that are not comfortable. He gives us the ability to follow when it doesn't feel comfortable to follow. He gives us the ability to make the right decision when our, all of our emotions and all our senses and everything that we've, uh, we've figured out and everything maybe even our peers and friends around us are telling us okay to do. And we yet we know inside, no, I've got to walk with Jesus. I've got to follow his ways. I've got to do what he's telling me to do. Verse 33, John continues speaking. And he says, I did not know him. I did not know Jesus or I did not recognize Jesus. But he who sent me to baptize, <coughs> talking about the Father, talking about the Holy Spirit upon him, putting that destiny, <coughs> excuse me, that destiny, <coughs> that destiny in him, that he knew he had a call, and he knew he had to, to go w- that way. <coughs> Thank you. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, Upon him whom you shall see the Spirit descend and remain, that one 
is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John was tracking again. Think of the opposition to him. He's living at this hermit out in the desert for years, and then all of a sudden he comes on the scene, and they thought he was nuts. The food he ate, the way he dressed, and then the message he's proclaiming, totally, uh, totally different than the Jewish message, totally different than the traditional message that they were all used to hearing. But the anointing of God, the presence of God is on him, and how he took step by step to follow and be obedient to God. Now he was opening his mouth and saying new things that had never been heard, directing by the Holy Spirit people to gather them around into a whole new way of living and a whole new way to get ready to follow the Messiah who is coming on the scene. And then he goes on in verse 34, and I have seen that happen. I actually did see it. And my testimony is that this is the Son of God. Again, he had enough things going on in his spirit. His spirit was so strong in God that he could recognize the voice of God. He could see through all the opposition, everything that even his natural mind and his feelings would say to him, all the places where he could have stepped back and, and lived a comfortable life. John rose up and he lived by his spirit. He lived by the presence of God and he became that person who saw God fulfill his word. He saw the word of God unfold before him and he could then see, okay, that is the Messiah. I saw him baptized in water. I saw the, the dove come upon him. I saw him baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is the one I've been waiting for. This is the one I've seen in the Spirit. This is the one the Lord has told me about. Verse 35, and again, the next day, John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he was walking along, and he said, look, there is the Lamb of God. The next uh, the next section, John, that next verse, John 137, is profound because it causes a radical change for John's disciples. The two disciples that heard John say this, and they followed him. What was it? I don't know. In our day and age, no one trusts anybody. Trust is really going out the window. People don't trust any spiritual authority. People hardly even trust their own family members. They hardly trust the wisdom of God that comes from their own family. There is such an independence. There is such a rebellion in our society that no one trusts spiritual authority. No one trusts parental authority. No one trusts any authority. And that's a total anti-God coming against spiritual authority, coming against even parental authority. But there is something in those disciples. They had learned something under John. They had learned something under John. They knew how to, how to follow God. They had a hunger in their heart to see more of Jesus. They wanted to see the Messiah, but there was something they had learned from John the Baptist to follow. And so when John said, there he is, there's the Lamb of God, they immediately were able to stop following this one man and turn and begin to follow a stranger. And yet he wasn't strange because something deep in their heart, deep in their spirit, deep where the God deposits destiny, began to, began to be drawing them away to follow this man who they did, he didn't know nothing about. That's the profound work of the Holy Spirit that's with us. That is the pursuit of the presence of God that has a destiny, that has a focus for us, that has decisions for us to make that are profoundly different than the world, profoundly different than your own head's telling you. And just how Satan uses circumstances, and he speaks to us in those subtle ways, he uses our own voice to try to keep us from following Jesus. But something inside of us, if we yield to it, will let us rise above all the voices and pursue and follow the one who is the only one, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. A little excited there. <laughs> there had to be a deep, something deeper than a natural curiosity. Again, there's something deeper that goes inside of us when we accept Jesus. 
And sometimes we stumble, like Dory says, sometimes we get our hair cut and we make some wrong choices and we've sinned and we have to repent and come back. But there's something deeper in us and it's not just curiosity. It's born of the Spirit. We're rooted in Christ when we accept Him. There's a, there's a deep, deep taproot in us that we cannot get away from God. And even when we rebel and find ourselves sinning and doing things we shouldn't do, there's something deep in us that brings us back. And we ask, God, will you forgive me? God, I've stepped off on the wrong road. I want to follow you. P forgive me. Will you heal the mess that I've made? Will you restore the brokenness that I've created? Will you heal those who I have wounded? God, forgive me. And God gets us up and he washes us and cleans us and he sets us on the road again. In John 1.38, Jesus asks, why are you following me? So these two disciples, they know what's going on. And Jesus is kind of acting a uh, little bit uh, ignorant today. He's a little ignorant about what they're, what they're doing and what they're saying to him. <coughs> but Jesus turned, and as he saw them following him, he said to them, what are you looking for? And I would ask you that today. What are you looking for in your Christian life and your attempting to follow Jesus? What are you looking for? He asked those two disciples, and what is it that you wish what are you wishing for as you've been following Jesus? Is there another agenda that you're trying to, to get before Jesus that's different? And they answered him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? It's so important for Jesus, for him to know why one chooses to follow him. And I know we, we take steps of faith when we first come to Christ, and it's so awesome to feel Christ for the first time and, and make decisions that, yeah, I want to follow you, Jesus. But then, as we start taking up our cross every day, and, and we, as we read the Word, and as the Holy Spirit starts turning that searchlight on, and the Word of God begins to show us things about ourselves that we don't like, or show us decisions and plans and paths that we're trying to make and take Jesus with us that are contrary to the way He wants us to go, that's where we start struggling. And it's always a, a struggle to keep saying, okay, I, want to I have to surrender this because you're saying this way is not the way you want me to go. But deep in my heart, i got to follow you. Maybe I've made enough decisions going down dead-end roads where I've had to repent that I've learned enough this far that I better abort what I'm trying to do in myself now and go for what you want. So these are the things he's, he's talking about when he's talking to these disciples. What about you? What are you looking for in Jesus? Adam Clark makes a commentary about this verse. What seek ye in this place, in the company you frequent, in the conversation you engage in, in the affairs which with you are occupied, in the works which you perform? Do you seek humiliation? Uh, this is a word I think it's really hard for us as Christians, and I, it's hard for me, I'm a pastor, I don't seek humilia humiliation. I think we guard ourselves from being humiliated. We get angry at people when we feel like we're shamed or, or putting on the spot or, or uh, something goes wrong. But he's asking us as, as followers, we should, not, we, should be, we should not be uncomfortable when we're humiliated, when self is exposed. Because God is getting to the root and clearing our heart so that our love from God or for God can be pure and our love for others can get purer. Do you seek humiliation? Do you seek illumination? Do you seek to get a, uh, a better standing in society or to be more accepted because you're a Christian? 
Do you seek justification? Do you seek edification or sanctification of your soul? That place is where God is asking us to follow because he's working on our soul. He's working on our motives. He's changing our attitudes. And I have to say, it's a very painful, fo- painful process to follow Jesus. What about, are you seeking the edu- education of your neighbor that they might know Christ? Or what about the good of the church or of Christ? Are you doing what, what God is calling you to do to build this body, to take your place as a member of this local body? Are you seeking your own glory or are you seeking the glory of God? Do you want God to be honored in your life, in how you live, or even in how you die, and what you give up to follow Jesus? Questions of this nature ov- often put to our hearts in the fear of God would induce us to do many things which we now leave undone and to leave undone many things which we now perform. Matthew Henry throws his comment on about this verse. Come and see what a mean lodging I have. In other words, Jesus was saying, come and see, I'm not living in a palace. I have what poor accommodations I take up with that you may not expect a worldly advantage by following me as they did who made their court to the scribes and Pharisees and called them rabbi. Come and see what you must count upon if you follow me. I know every one of us has a a different uh, call, a different lifestyle as we follow, but it's important to be who God calls you to be and to find a grace and rest in whatever position and however uh, you, you live in, whatever state you live in. Then we have some disciples that he begins to reveal himself to. And the first one is Andrew and John 140. One of the two who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You know, Peter's always getting the credit about getting the revelation that he is the Christ when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ. And he's credited. But here we begin to see that Andrew has something going on in his spirit. He has the same revelation, and he's tracking with Jesus because the presence of God has been revealing that this is the one to follow. Andrew obviously was connected to God. He was obviously aware, as John the Baptist's disciple, that there was something very incredibly spiritual and powerful going on. And we think back, you know, just reading about these guys' stories, Think about how powerful it is to be that time in their life where they are chosen to walk with Jesus. And, you know, we read their whole story. We can see, wow, how glorious. They saw the miracles, everything. And yet we know it says that they struggle with unbelief, even though all that they saw and all they experienced with Jesus. But then we also know all of them suffered a martyr's death. Wow. The cost of following Jesus in John 41, John 1, 41 through 42, Andrew first sought out and found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found and discovered the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, the anointed one. Notice how Andrew is already operating in spiritual gifts. He's making disciples. He's gathering people for Jesus. How awesome, too, to be able to tell your brother and to have your brother open, your, or your sister, or a family member open, that you could share your faith and share your enthusiasm and share with them what God's doing 
and to ignite a fire of faith in those in your family. It, is sure, it surely was a gospel call that Andrew had to make disciples. Verse 42, Andrew then led and brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, a stone. Again, Jesus is already igniting that prophetic destiny by speaking to people. Just like the Holy Spirit is ever-present with you now, even more than Jesus was with them because he couldn't be with them 24-7. But he's with you, igniting the spiritual destiny, sparking the spark and fueling the fire inside of you to follow Jesus and to know that you are not following uh, a fairy tale. You're not wasting your time. So many things in our life waste our time and so many things are uh, we have to do every day, but they have to be done, but they're really meaningless when we compare them to eternity. What about Philip? John 1, verses 43 through 44. The next day Jesus desired and decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, join me as my attendant and follow me. I feel this is really prophetic to us where God is reminding us, hey, join me, be my attendant, follow me. Those are powerful words in a world where uh, we're encouraging everyone to be a superstar, you know, get be a celebrity. You know, we're teaching little kil- kids from a really young age that they have to be something. There's no serving uh, preached anymore and being a, just a humble person, being a person that just is an attendant and serving someone else or serving someone else's ministry or making someone else look better. It's so anti American culture, but he just simply, what an invitation to follow him. Join me as my attendant and follow me. Wow. I guess they didn't have any big eagles back then or it, they weren't coming out right then. I know later on the Sons of Thunder are, are jockeying for position and people want fame and fortune and they want a, a place with Jesus, but they learned over time that it was about serving Jesus and serving others by learning the gospel message and learning that people were broken and they needed healing. Following Jesus is the response to the encounter with his presence. What does it mean to be found by Jesus? Is there places you feel lost today where you need to be found? You know, um, when we're found, it's a relief. It lifts us out of places where we felt lost and alone and discouraged. Jesus wants to find you. All of us in a progression of places where we need to be found. We need to know that we're okay with who we are and even what we've gone through, even the hurts, because Jesus wants you to be found in those places that try to limit you and your destiny and your ability to follow Jesus. Where were you when Jesus found you? Have you left the place of simplicity and humility where you started? Have you gotten a big head? Do you know too much now? Have you experienced too much of the Spirit? I think he's telling us to really keep an attitude of humility and, and humbleness, no matter what we know or you know how we gain in our, our experience, spiritually or naturally, to be grateful and humble before Jesus because it could all go away in a moment. But the biggest thing is pride can separate us from 
who Jesus is and the incredible presence that he offers us if we just simply be his children and be humble before him. We were found to join him and to attend him. Again, maybe some of us are making adjustments today in why we're following Jesus. Is it just for life insurance? Why are we following him? Is there a rearrangement in our priorities? Is something going to burn deep in our hearts today that we're going to make some adjustments in our attitudes and our priorities because there's a destiny starting to, to push us and ask of us something that maybe we weren't thinking about doing. So Jesus asked Philip to be his attendant. He's asking him to serve him and serve his agenda. Join Jesus, be his attendant, and follow. I think that corrects the way we follow when we think about that, serving and attending Jesus. That means sometimes we're going to endure conflicts and endure feelings and put ourselves in places that are uncomfortable because it's going to not be about us, but it's about God's care for other people and our responsibilities to follow him. So that scripture that Paul tells us in the New Testament to endure hardness as a soldier. And a, time, a lot of times as Christians, we have to do hardness, hardness in our families, hardness in our marriages, as we're letting people adjust, as we're adjusting ourselves to broken people around us. People aren't perfect. People are broken. It's easy to give up on relationships because we don't see changes. But God's asking us to serve with an open heart and keep believing and keep trusting that people are going to change. Now, Philip, in verse 44, was from Bethesda, of the same city as Andrew and Peter. I always say, you know, they say that people follow, that, that people follow their peers and people are influenced by their peers. How awesome that these guys had a hunger for Jesus. They had a hunger for the godly things, and they became uh, a powerful influence for each other to be followers of Jesus. The prophetic presence moved Nathaniel to follow. In John 1, 45 through 51, Philip sought and found Nathaniel and told him, We have found and discovered the one Moses in the law and the, also the prophets wrote about, Jesus from Nazareth, the legal son of Joseph. Nathaniel answered him, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip replied, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said concerning him, See, here is an Israelite indeed, a true descendant of Jacob, in whom there is no guile, deceit, nor falsehood, nor unfaithfulness. Nathanael said to Jesus, How do you know me? How is it that you know these things about me? And Jesus answered him, Before ever Philip called you, when you were still under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Again, that shows, again, that prophetic presence. And some of you have experienced that when someone you don't know has that Holy Spirit upon them and they speak something prophetically about you, something that no one else would know, it immediately connects you to God's presence and you feel like you've had an experience with God and it causes you to follow. That's what Nathaniel went through. And then here's a promise, and it's a promise for all of us who determine we are going to keep following Jesus. We're going to keep making those adjustments every day as we pick up our cross to follow him. We're going to deal with attitudes. We're going to deal with our will and choices. 
but we are going to keep pursuing and, and following Jesus. And Jesus replied, Nathaniel, because I said this to you, I saw you beneath the fig tree. Do you believe in and rely on and trust in me? You shall see greater things than this. What a promise. We have a promise today as we're focusing on keeping the presence of the Holy Spirit, keeping the presence of God before us, realizing we are in his constant presence, that we are going to continue to have our eyes amazed by what we're going to see. We're going to see transformations and miracles. We're going to hear and see of things that we know are only something that God did. Our final verse, verse 51. Then he said to Nathaniel, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you all, you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Will you stand with me? If you'd like to maybe just spend a little time, maybe God's been talking to you about something today, or maybe you even came in here and there's something else on your heart. If you just want to get with you and God, just come over here on your left, my right, and no one's going to bother you. But if you want personal prayer, come over on my left, your right, and people will pray with you if you have a sickness or something that, an ailment or a diagnosis, something that you're just really struggling with, ask and people will pray for you. And uh, just whatever you feel like you need to do, do it. I just want to close in prayer. Lord, here we are. And God, we've taken that journey to follow you. And Lord, help us to be able to keep moving forward. You know the places where we have fears and mistrust. You know the places that where Satan has been deceiving or causing mistrust. And we're asking you to help us to move forward today. That you would lift weights of discouragement off of people. I pray that you would lift off uh, demonic things that have gone on to uh, oppress people and discourage people and confuse people. I pray against the spirit of discouragement and confusion because you say you are not the author of confusion. Lord, wherever you're leading, there's incredible peace. I pray against false peace. I pray against agitation because uh, people are not sure what you're saying. I pray for a clarity to fall on people today to really clear and recognize your voice in their spirit. Lord, rise above their intellect. Rise above all the distractions and the voices. Lord, that their spirit might hear your voice. And Lord, I ask you to just bless the altars today. Bless the healing and the re restoring that's going on as people meet with you. In Jesus' name.